0: What's up, everybody? You're listening to The Heavy Pour. My name is Dustin, historian and host of the podcast. And uh, we're going to have a good one today. Hey, guys. I'm
1: Skylar. I'm the producer podcast, also the co-host. And uh, today we have some special guests. We have a uh, good friend, Spencer, and good friend, Steve. Uh, going to be bantering back and forth a little bit. Yeah. So. Tell, us,
2: tell us a little bit about yourselves, guys. Well, I'm a friend of the show. Um, I live upstairs from where it's recorded. And I'm just along for the ride today. See where it takes me. I like
1: <laughs>
3: Long time listener, first time caller. Uh, Spencer Evans, long time buddy of Skyler as well. And a avid history lover.
1: You could, you could probably coin yourself as a historian as well. Come on. I was going to, but yeah, yeah. Did you study <laughs> did you study history at college or? Did I just, did. Yeah. yeah? Cool. For Nice. All right. What's your favorite
0: history topic?
3: Probably the Rome or like Napoleonic Wars. Yeah, those are classics. Rome was
0: my major entrance to like academic study of history, not just like reading books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a really amazing professor on uh, ancient Rome. Yeah, like my Actually, it was my first class at my undergrad, and it just, like, made me go, oh, cool. I could, like, actually do shit with this. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah, so we've got the four of us here today. We're just going to be jabbering back and forth. Uh, the topic is an interesting one, bit of a – actually, it's kind of stays connected to previous ones we've talked about. We're, we've been sort of world travelers with our uh, – Discussions, talking about how coffee and tea and alcohol have come full circle around the world and driven a lot of uh, human movements. So, but today this one is we're going to talk about Commodore Matthew Perry and the uh, the opening of Japan and the fall of the Tokugawa Shogunate. Um, interesting. Nice.
3: Not to be confused with Matthew Perry from Friends.
0: Uh, okay, so I literally—he's not a commodore.
3: I literally was like, "Wait,
0: what's this guy's first name? Commodore Perry." He's like, "It can't be Matthew Perry. That's—he's a yeah. fucking actor, right?" Like, and then he sure was enough, a pretty funny animal. Yeah. <laughs> sure enough, though, Wikipedia—it's Matthew. I was like, "That's a good namesake." What was his name in the show? I never watched. Chandler. It. Chandler Bing. Fucking name. Chandler Bing. Commodore Bing. Commodore Bing. <laughs> so. Matthew Perry. That's where this thought mm-hmm. came from. Yes. Apologies. Um, Bring us back. Yeah. Can we? catch sure. <laughs> more off track. It's <laughs> what happens. It's yeah. what happens. Part of the part welcome of the reason to the, we welcome to the heavy poor. This is yeah. Know? This is what we do. This is the heavy poor. Um, in fact, getting off track is kind of what inspired the whole podcast, anyways. So, in regular fashion, Skylar and I were having a beer at a local watering hole a couple of weeks back, and uh, they have like Japanese sort of facade in the restaurant. And I don't know why, but in my head, I was like, Commodore Perry, let's talk about that. And Skylar was like, let's do it in typical Skylar fashion. Just oh, let's yeah. let's yeah. fucking run yeah. after it. Sounds about right. I didn't know which one he was
1: talking about. And I thought he was talking about the beer by, the, by Great Lakes. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, let's talk about Commodore I mean, Perry. I respect that. I respect you that. You know, it's a good beer. But uh, it is good it's going to be a great episode. Well, and then it got even more confusing because I got home, I, so that was what a three weeks month ago, ag- almost a month ago. Yeah. So then Spencer started talking about it the other day, and he goes, "Yeah, I just read. I just finished uh, reading about Com- uh, Commodore Perry," and I was like, "No way! That's so like ironic. Yeah. Like this is going to work out perfectly." Fortuitous. Then I found rather, out, Yeah. Then I found out there's more than you know two, so which makes sense.
0: <clears throat> is uh, What's his name? Oliver Hazard? Yeah, Oliver Hazard. He's the Hazard elder brother, right? Yeah, he was older. But he died young.
3: Yeah, he got sick in the Indies, the West Indies, and okay. he died. That <laughs> happened to a lot of people. <laughs> like a couple of years after the war. So. Yeah. He
0: was like 34 from what I Pretty young. Yeah. The only reason that I remember that His brother is just it, lived way longer. So yeah, well... Ended up doing more. But, yeah. yeah, Matthew lived to be 65 or so, which I guess for that time was pretty damn old.
3: Yeah, especially being a but, baby. Yeah, disease
0: a lot of disease yeah we talk a lot about i think like in three of our or four of our episodes we talk about like scurvy and how something as simple as citrus has helped save like (laughs) millions of lives
3: yeah
0: that's true we talked about
1: um well we're we're not going to recap every every episode here but um how rum used to be like a you know a nutritious drink that they would (laughs) drink on
3: on a ship because
1: they were like, dying. The Daily
3: Top. In, <laughs> uh, yeah. in the British Navy, they just stopped doing it. it in, right. I think like the this. 80s. Oh, the, oh yeah. Because until totty. then, like each certain ta- number of times a day, they could take like a drink of rum. It was like, probably, yeah. like the rations. For right. The day.
0: Yeah. But it went up until pretty recently. Starting out when rum was first being produced in America, I uh, their daily ration was a pint of rum. A full fucking pint <laughs> of rum. Yep. Um, it's a lot
1: of rum. Like I don't know if I could, if I drank a pint of rum a day, I don't think I'd be able to like manage ship.
3: Yeah,
0: you know. Well, and that's they watered
2: it. Maybe down you, then, maybe right? it just wasn't that hard. And was it kind of <laughs> maybe it just wasn't that hard? Didn't it have something to do with the fact that you could keep rum? Uh, it didn't spoil. Almost? Yeah, that's part Did of it. That. It also
0: sanitized the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm sure Matthew Perry drank quite a few daiquiris on his trip to Japan. So in 1852, uh, two, Millard Fillmore is president. By the way, this mm-hmm. guy—I t- let me tell you—I know nothing about him. Super inconsequential president. <laughs> He's from Buffalo.
1: Was he really? Yeah.
3: <laughs> he lived in East Aurora. For a oh bit, my God! I There's ha- The, the <laughs>
1: house. Mark Millard Fillmore Museum. Yeah. yeah. That is beautiful. At the end of my uh, the street that uh, my street is off of Center Street. Really, it's at the end of Center Street. That's yep. so fantastic. Yeah.
3: Well, Mr. Fillmore. We'll do it on location sometimes.
1: Right, we'll do on location next podcast. Yeah, yeah, I like you it. can't say it, but right, <laughs> it sounds great. <laughs> Even if we're not there, we'll say we are. So <laughs> you'll have to take our word for it
0: that we're lying. Uh, <laughs> so President Fillmore sends Perry uh, on a trip to Japan. Sends him with a flotilla, which because he's named Commodore, it just sounds like such an imposing title. I'm like, oh, this dude was like commanding a hundred ships and he's like no it was two uh two frigates and two sailing ships that roll into uraga bay he sails in with four ships and japan was so behind the times because of their 250 years of isolation that they went ah fuck we probably should listen to this guy which is crazy to me he had two ships that had guns on them and two more ships that just had stuff in them like (laughs) Didn't they line the shores with Samurai? Maybe in that movie. I,
3: I, I, Name that movie.
1: Uh,
2: what is the movie?
3: Last Samurai, I'm
2: it's, guessing. Oh, okay. Yeah. With, it
3: takes place after this, roughly.
2: Tom Cruise. Right? Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, just, that I mean, one, it's, it's fiction. The well,
1: real, the realist of Samurai, Tom Cruise.
2: Well, it's funny. I, I thought I had no familiarity with what we were talking about at all, but I'm very familiar with the poor dramatization of <laughs> the events that took place. So but, that
3: industrialization in Japan, yeah. which... What comes after about?
0: this, as a result of this. Um, because basically, Ooh. Japan, the shogunate especially, saw that they technologically were so outmatched that they just kind of had to... They, at first, they allowed Perry to come in with his uh, letter from President Fillmore demanding a treaty. They let him in because they were like, oh, we'll just stall for time, and then we'll, we'll catch up technologically. But it turns out you can't catch up to 250 years of keeping yourself isolated in, you know, in a speedy way. So basically, with four ships, he comes in and says, here's this edict that I'm laying down to you. You've got some time to think about it. He gives him like a year, year and a half to think about it. And this is all happening at the same time throughout the rest of the world that like, Great Britain is under the rule of Queen Victoria. Russia is under the rule of Tsar Nicholas I. I don't know, if, have you guys ever heard of King Leopold from uh, Belgium?
3: Yeah, with the Congo. I yeah. Yep.
0: So he basically committed some incredible and horrific atrocities in the Congo. But it's like the age of colonization ramping up. Um, Imperialism. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and so the U.S. is just trying to catch up to France, Russia, and the Great Britain at this time. So this is basically the whole reason he goes over there is because the U.S. is just starting to, like, come around in terms of its own independence and sort of figuring out, Because in the 1850s, you know, it's been a country for 60 years or so. Yeah. 65, 70 years or so. So they're still trying to figure out, like, the way forward for how the U.S. interacts with the world. And they just followed in the footsteps of Britain at this point, basically. What did they have to trade? Well, basically, Great Britain had just won the Opium War with China and forced them into. It's a pretty dope war.
3: (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Pretty sad. Jokes, my Sky.
0: <laughs> so they forced them into a treaty, and basically they could exploit resources out of China for the betterment of oh, okay. Great Britain. That's what the U.S. Yeah. was trying to yeah. do with Japan, basically. Okay. Only not doing it with a war, doing it through treaties or just forcing them. Well, that's what ended up happening. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy to think about, like, from my perspective, especially thinking back on how they teach history in high school and even in college to a certain degree they try and make it all pretty and like your country never does anything wrong and if it does like good things came from it like yeah sometimes they don't
1: well we have a pretty uh, crazy history of just like taking shit over and being like basically tyrannical Shit. Yeah. You know, well, but.
2: And I mean, it's truly like a selective history, too. hmm. For sure. Because according to any textbook I've ever had, Africa doesn't exist. Right. Right. Yeah. People who lived in the subcontinent.
1: No, I thought Africa was a desert.
2: We're just, yeah, right. It's just nothing's going on <laughs> right. in India. Yeah. Nothing's happening in, you know, the eastern parts of the world. Yep. Yep. Just the western world was doing everything. That's just not the truth. And then the amount of knowledge that was lost that we also don't pay attention to. For sure. And all of that actually kind
0: of started with this, with Western white dudes coming in and mm. saying that just because they had the guns and the money, that they had the right to like say they were more advanced than a feudal society that was... Granted, the shogunate was technologically much further behind, but... Yeah. Well,
1: they, <clears throat> they met them on a beach with swords when they had steam engines yeah. and shit like that. That was pretty crazy. I, I mean, my knowledge comes mostly from YouTube videos, so uh, well, valid. I was watching the YouTube <laughs> videos. Sources, well, yeah. Well, you know, you got a source. They're saying that when they, when uh, Commodore Perry came into the bay, they thought it It was, uh, you know, they realized that they weren't their ships, and they were like, "Oh my God, these ships are on fire," because they had steam, oh, right. steam coming out, moving or, on yeah, their own. Yeah, they're moving on their own. They're like. They thought it was like, he was the devil.
0: Yeah. That's some the, Yeah. <clears throat> some of the artwork and the paintings coming out of Japan at that time of yeah. their first interactions, it's fascinating. Any of our listeners, you got to go check it out. We'll post some stuff on, on the socials. For sure. It's done in traditional. Um, Japanese style. Like watercolor style. Yeah. But it's of non-traditional subjects. It's really interesting. Yeah. Really, well, they really make cool to look at. They make him look like
1: a de- like devilish too. It was like mm-hmm. his hands are all like, friggin', clawy and gnarly, and he's just like they depict him as like a, a demon, <laughs> a demon, which was kind of cool.
0: But anyway, yeah. So he rolls in all devil like, and basically forces, allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, basically forces Japan to treat to, um, negotiate. Um for a treaty, which is eventually signed. Um he comes back after that year and a half of letting uh the Tokugawa family deliberate over how they want to interact with America. So in February eighteen fifty four he rolls back through, this time with nine ships though, and he goes right into Ito Bay, which is Ito is now Tokyo. And within a month they had signed the Treaty of uh Kanagawa, I think is how you pronounce it. Which basically made it so that the U.S. was the only trading partner with Japan, and Japan had to give tons of concessions to the U.S. in exchange for things like guns and steamboats, right? But technology. Yeah, but I think you could say the U.S. gained a lot more than Japan did in the interaction, which is, it follows the pattern going on at that time. Think of Indochina. France just completely subjugated that entire section of what is now like Vietnam, Thailand, Myanmar. Mm Mm-hmm. Makes sense why Japan hates us so much or hated us so much like
1: before the world wars.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess you could extrapolate out that far. That gets a little dicey (laughs) from historical standpoints because there's so many factors that cause events like that to happen. But that that did start, I would say the, the idea of expanding your borders, taking what you want by force. That was Mm -hmm. definitely instilled in I would say the Japanese hierarchy at this point in time. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could say that it had a, a huge effect on later events that a lot of people are more familiar with, like World War II. Yeah. yeah for sure.
3: Well, it made Japan want to modernize so yeah. that they wouldn't be China, essentially, as the other Western countries yeah. divvied up China, essentially. Exactly. So yeah. they didn't want that to happen, so they took all the ideas and technology and weapons they could to like advanced. Yeah. And to become an industrial society super yeah. quickly. Which it happened really succeeded. fast. Succeeded, yeah. It was yeah. very quick because like, they had the... Yeah, 70
0: years crazy. or something, they went from basically feudal East Asian equivalent of like knights and castles. In 70 years, they went from that to like the most advanced technology of the time, like steamboats, which is insane. Yeah, that's crazy.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, World War II is like just over 100 years later.
0: That's, that's another crazy thing when looking into this topic that I came across is that Perry was born in 1794... The U.S. had been a country for, what, five years at that point?
3: The Constitution, yeah.
0: And he died in 58. So another five years, no, less than five years after he died, we're fighting the Civil War. The Revolutionary War and the Civil War seem like such distant things from one another, but they really aren't. Yeah. And that's something that I encountered while doing this, because then another 50 years after this year, it's 1900, and you've got freaking airplanes flying around.
3: Yeah. Exploding shells. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's crazy how fast it moves. That's pretty nuts. (laughs) One of the most interesting things for me, also while looking into this, was that this is all happening sort of in a time when these empires are really, really expanding. Like Queen Victoria, the 1850s, is taking Britain to its biggest boundaries in terms of territory. France is taking huge chunks out of Africa in terms of territories there. And it's just amazing to think of um, all of this happening with all of these different countries subjugating massive parts of the rest of the world, but then also meanwhile having something like the revolutions of 1848 going on as well. Yeah. Um, all throughout Europe, basically. There's these massive labor strikes going on. They go from these big fights over reforming, giving power to the, the laborman, you know, the, the small guy. Within 50 years, they now control territories that's not traditionally, for instance, French or something. Right. It's just incredible to think of how quickly all of this happens. And Commodore Perry is a great example of that. He sails in in 52 and by 54, he's basically got Japan in the pocket of the U.S. And a big reason for that is this gunship diplomacy that they're using. For instance, on the first visit, he shoots off all 73 cannons of the ships that he has in the bay... Basically, blank fires them just to scare the fuck out of the Japanese. Show them that they're not messing around, right? So, eventually, the Japanese think about it. He comes back less than a year later with more ships. He had wintered, well, was going to winter in uh, Hong Kong, but then heard that the Russians were on their way and was like, shit, we got to get back and get our treaty. So, he ends up back in Japan in March of 1854. He's actually pretty warmly welcomed um, by the Japanese on his second visit. Probably because they had just figured out that, well, there's not much we can do to make the best of it. Yeah. So he'd been there for, since February. So by March 31st, Japan has signed an agreement with the U.S. This is the first treaty in over 200 years between Japan and the U.S. Yeah. So this is at the Convention of Kanagawa. I think I mentioned it earlier. Hopefully I got that pronunciation less shitty this time. <laughs> and it's a it's an Im- really important... Uh, Thing for not just Japanese history but world history moving from this point forward, from 1854 forward, this Treaty of Kanagawa is, has a lasting
3: legacy for uh, international relations. Um, yeah, and some other stipulations of the treaty include uh, Americans had tried to instigate trade with Japan was through aiding shipwrecked sailors who would be oh, trapped okay. there. And yeah. even in some of the earlier attempts, they had taken... Because there was Japanese sailors who had been shipwrecked abroad as well, and this was people were trying to be like, "Hey, we'll return your your lost sailors too if we can trade with you too, right?" So it was like a way to get in. But so now there was this uh, mutual aid promised, which was kind of one of the things that a flimsy reason why they wanted to be getting. But yeah, reading reading these stipulations, I'm like, really, you wanted to have
0: an ambassador in Edo, and you wanted your sailors to have a home if they were cast away? Like, that's the real reason you... Okay, bring our boys home. Okay.
3: (laughs) 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 Yeah, and uh, also one of the more negative parts, I guess, of the treaty for Japan was uh, this... It's called um, extraterritoriality. It was given to Americans in the trade ports, which were Shimoda and... Do you have the other name Shimoda and Hakodate? Hakodate. So within these places, essentially, American citizens c- could not be tried for crimes in a Japanese court. Wait, what? Like at all? It would no. They would have to be tried it, by an American court. And this is something that the British and the French and many other Europeans had done in China as well. This is why they had forced the Qing government in China to sign these what were called unequal treaties, where there was extraterritoriality, so that kind of protecting their own people. And it kind of stems also from partially them not wanting their people to be like harassed by the locals as well. But is that a common,
0: that extraterritoriality? Is that common throughout this imperialist period for the Western powers? Do they have that with each other, or is this no. them imposing their it's, will?
3: No, no, no. This is, it's an unequal, that's why it's called these unequal things. It's a racial policy. So mm. this is something that the Japanese chafed about for a very long time. And for and good this reason. this is Jesus. one of the, I, I believe it's like the first time perhaps ever that Japan had been forced to concede some part of their national sovereignty yeah. to another country to a degree. Wow. Because this means that like within certain ports, they weren't allowed to enforce their laws on foreigners. Within their own landmass. Yeah. So this this is one of the things that they really hated about it.
0: That's so interesting that it comes back around to that because that's a huge reason that extraterritoriality, the unequalness of trade was one of the big reasons that uh, Japan entered into this sakoku the isolation 200 years prior was because they didn't want to have to pay homage to China at this point in time. They were trying yeah. they were trying to get away from that because it was kind of impinging on their their sovereignty then. So they go into this self-imposed isolation and they come out of it and they have to do that again anyways. That's
3: wild. History.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So Shimoda and Hakodate were opened up with this treaty, just the U.S. though, right?
3: At this moment, America now kind of had a monopoly on trade, but there was also another stipulation of the treaty was that if any other nation entered into a trading treaty with Japan... And it was better than the deal with America, then America would also receive those concessions as well. Jeez. That's why all these countries had been scrambling to hope to open up Japan because they all wanted exclusive trade with Japan. So they all sought to essentially just take Japan as their sphere of influence. One of the reasons that it was, you know, that
0: China went first in terms of like imperial domination was because it had more resources, right? Yeah, exactly. It's funny that they are trying to get all this out of Japan without Japan having, at this point, you know, the overwhelming natural resources that another area would have, right? So like yeah. It was kind of a last pick of spheres of influence as far as the US got late to the game, but
3: Yeah, there's no there was no oil. There were yeah there wasn't really great mineral deposits and many of these colonial powers weren't trying to develop their colonies. They wanted to extract value from their colonies. And all that Japan really had was a market. So basically people who would be buying things so everyone kind of wanted to control markets which meant controlling selling to Mm -hmm. japan and so it's kind of one of those things where america we like opened them up and then we're like well anybody gets a better deal we get a better deal too
0: and that makes total sense because this is coming into the height of the industrial revolution in america right this is where the same period where the u.s has got steamboats and they're getting you know really accurate rifles and they're the Gatling gun, you know, repeating carbines. And of course it's all very militarily based, but there's other things um, that improve living for people. Yeah. And if Japan doesn't have the resources to make those things, they at least have people who can buy them. So that makes sense that the U S wants to get in on that, especially since not only could they buy them, but they had nothing even close to it right up to this point because they had been in isolation. Yeah. So in that sense, it, Definitely could have been a jewel in an empire in the U.S. Fucked up and fortunate at the same
3: time got there, right? Like, <laughs> well, it's just one of those things where, like, at some point, someone was going to force the issue. Right. It wasn't like Japan was going to be allowed to be a medieval society until 2020, you know? We were just the first ones to get there. And, like, we even said earlier that Perry was supposed to wait a year right before he, he returned. Was, and he cut it short because he heard a Russian squadron had entered and was trying to open trade with them. So yeah. he was like, oh, shit. If they get the best deal, they, or maybe they could even sign some sort of deal where it was only Russia that could trade or something. So that's right, just a fear. Yeah. So that's why they, he cut it short just to get there earlier, and then they to just make sure you know nothing went against them. They were like, well, also if you get a better deal, we get a better deal. So. And then did
0: someone get a better deal? Who came in next?
3: After I think the British okay. were next, and then also like the Russians and the French very quickly. As soon as we signed our trade treaty with them, they just everyone else started swooping in as well. And yeah. I'm not sure if. You know, if, our, if any had one had a better deal than we did or not, but...
0: At that point, it was almost moot um, from the perspective of, of Japan because their way of life for 200 years was on its way out now. Almost no matter what deal they gave to who, that one thing, the the Treaty of Kanagawa with the U.S., it didn't really matter who came in next from the Japanese perspective because they're already... They're done with that 200 years of the life that they knew.
3: Yeah, um, and and also... I mean, this is like the impetus of why they just went gung ho for industrialization, because a major awakening for their country where like in that first time when he when Perry arrived, they were allowed to land some Marines and sailors on an island near Edo. And the advisors were like, we couldn't prevent them from taking over our capital city if they tried. And this is like an expedition we sent halfway across the world, you know. So this is like a major shock to the people of Japan where they're like, okay, we either advance ourselves or we'll be ground to dust like China. Yeah. And that's crazy. kind of what is the main impetus is this strengthening Japan to prevent the Europeans from dominating them any further.
0: Like what happened
3: to China. They're trying to avoid yeah, that. They, they see do it's, not want the China effect. Yeah. They
0: see it's coming and they go, well, let's fucking lean into it, which is smart.
3: Yeah, and... It's kind of an interesting thing them waiting all that time because they were able to like start fresh at a period of incredible technological advancement like steam engines for ships, steam engines for trains, all types of different metallurgy advances, crop, agricultural stuff, weaponry itself. I mean, up to this point, they only had sword spears, arrows, and then they had some like old muskets. But yeah. again, a musket compared to a, a weapon in 1854, often rifled muskets and right cannons that can fire extremely far, explosive shells, you know? Yeah. They were able to kind of shop around the world and look for— The best shit. The best. So they're like, what's the best type of government? And then they could tweak it and even be like, oh, the British government is great works well but what's wrong with it and we could fix those issues and then they didn't already have things in the way of industry because they were like a medieval society yeah so they could start fresh and plan out their industry nationally wow as opposed to it kind of just hodgepodge like in america there's a spurt here spurt there and then eventually it kind of takes off yeah
0: whereas here japan can just go thanks for all the work you guys did we're going to take that now and and again coming back around to them seeing the writing on the wall they've already seen china go through really shitty deals and all of their yeah. resources just extricated to a point where it wasn't worth it really for Chinese people, but they had no other choice at that point. So again, Japan leans into it. Um, and there's a quote here that he's, he's one of the figures from the era, Shimazu Nariakira, He's quoted as saying, quote, if we do, if we take the initiative, we can dominate. If we do not, we will be dominated. So from yeah. this point Kill forward, killed. yes, from this hey, point forward, nice. th- that is Jap- Japan's one goal.
3: Acquire an empire strong enough to not be messed with, essentially. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Nice. Well, they succeeded.
3: Well, yeah. So this kind of brings us up to... So we're talking about all this need for centralization, for all this planning. Building, like, an industrial society from a medieval society, essentially, kind of requires lots of centralization and also an intake of brand-new ideas. And... That's not exactly the strong suit of Tokugawa shogunate. As we've seen, they completely blocked off the country and kind of caused this isolation itself as well.
0: Sure. And so. they were already... The way the shogunate worked was that it was nominally... The emperor was still there, but he didn't yeah, have yeah, power. Absolutely. But the shogun, basically a generalissimo, a, yeah. a, a war leader. Grand warlord. Yeah, kinda. grand warlord. <laughs> that line, it was a hereditary line. The Tokugawa is actually their, their family name. Um, for the Shogunate, so they're overseeing this whole period, this two hundred year period, and mm-hmm. um, but they're doing it not through sort of authoritarian means that we're used to, like they're not doing a, a King Louis the Sixteenth and and or they're not pulling a Napoleon and trying to control everything themselves, all centralized. Instead, they hand it off to, um, I think it's pronounced daimyo. Yeah, the daimyo. Daimyo. So these are regional leaders that they're friendly with so they mm. hand the power off to them and say within these daimyos they basically have like regional autonomy except they answer to the the shogunate with tribute Ah, so the daimyos they don't answer directly they don't have to follow all the rules that the shogun enacts in his lands but they do have to have tribute to the shogun so it's already decentralized
3: yeah it gives power over to a big group of people who are all roughly equal in power It's a good way to then prevent anyone from rising up if everyone is equalized and held back technologically no one can yeah build up enough power to overthrow the shogun who is on friendly-ish terms with you know all these daimyo and everything so divide and conquer essentially <laughs>
0: right exactly uh once they see that they need that centralized authority and figure to direct Japan into the we will dominate not be dominated yeah they see they need that central authority and they look at the shogun and they go you're not that right everything is decentralized and you're using katanas versus a gatling gun that's not going to work to take Japan into the future <laughs> right right yeah so this causes massive upheaval throughout Japanese culture which is where we get I believe we've touched on it a little bit through this episode but we get into The period known as the Meiji Restoration.
3: Yeah. Japan needs a strong leader to centralize around. And in the past, like we said, it had been this Tokugawa shogunate who had ruled in the name of the emperor. Kind of like the emperor was still in charge, but he just gave all of his powers over to the shogun to rule for him, which the shogun had basically seized control of this power and held it. Nice. So now they're they're casting about trying to figure out what to do and this is when the Emperor Meiji starts to try to seize power. So I th- I believe the emperor is Komai who's yeah. emperor when Perry arrives. Yep. So and he's welcoming of these ideas because he doesn't want this kind of disgrace to happen again. Sure. And the shogunate kind of drags its heels, so then power starts to kind of regather around him and his son who is also an avid performer who's called meiji later on but so when he becomes emperor he leads what's called the meiji restoration where the emperor becomes the head of state once again seizes it back from the shogun and a lot of like conservative elements like the samurai and everything rally behind the shogunate because they're kind of like the old ways holding out yeah, they're afraid of losing their power, and they see this
0: new change, and obviously they want to combat that because you have power, you don't want to lose it. Komai dies in 1867, right, and that's when Meiji comes in. So this is only when did Perry leave? 1854. 54. Yeah. So just 13 years later, Japan is in an upheaval,
3: right? So yeah, immediately the trade is having this effect. This is the kind of what, this kicks off what's called the, the Boshin War. I believe that's how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. This is a war essentially between the emperor and the shogun. So a series of lords, mostly in the south, they want to embrace this changing ways of, for Japan, mm-hmm. to strengthen Japan. Yeah. And the shogun wants to hold on to power, of which leads to this Boshin War.
0: Which, by the way, the Boshin War is uh, called the War of the Year
3: of the Dragon. Yeah. Which is sweet. Well, War of the Year of the Yang Earth Dragon. Oh, even more specific. Even more specific. Nice. So it must be the Japanese calendar year was the... Yang. Yang Earth Dragon. Huh.
0: I'm sure, yeah. That's so sure. much cooler than like... What year is Ocean. it? Ocean.
3: 1867? <laughs> yeah, it's dragon.
0: It's the War of the Year of the Earth Dragon.
3: <laughs> it's Earth Dragon year. It's fucking right. sweet. It's better oh, than yeah. Earth Day. Wow. Well, Earth Dragon Day.
1: Yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> Just it. To I it, feel like you know? the Earth
0: Dragon would have... Earth Day built into his reign. He'd Every day to. would He'd
3: be Earth to. Dragon he's Day. He's a wild animal. Yeah. <laughs> a regal beast. Wow. <laughs> That's wild. So this Boshin War is a success for the Emperor. So oh, he's able okay. to seize control of Japan, and now power is back in the hands of the Emperor, who has advisors, and he's a avid reformer. So... Hmm. This is when it starts to really, really kick off, and the centralization of Japan grows by leaps and bounds, and their military gets ever more advanced and everything. Nice. And Japan also then, as they're industrializing, they see the need also for raw materials just like the other industrial countries Mm -hmm. of Europe, which are going to Asia to export raw materials back to their own industry to build things to sell, mostly to their own colonies as well. but. So now Japan, because we said they have no real resources, as they're developing, they see the need to seize lands with more population and with these resources that that they need. Nice. Which leads to, I mean, the closest to Japan is Korea, which is, I think it's like less than 90 miles away. It's super really? close. It's really close at one point to Japan.
0: If you look at a map, huh. it, it blows me away every time I see it. Because I always think of Japan as being further down into what was that, the South China Sea? Yeah. I always think of it being further south, but Japan is actually really far north, and Japan's southern points are, like, on the same latitude as Korea, or close to the same, like...
3: It goes below, yeah. But it,
0: yeah. it always just blows me away when I look at that, and so it makes it really easy
3: for them to get to Korea. Yeah. And in the past, historically, uh, before this isolation, they had even been involved with wars of trying to conquer Korea as well, so there's already this kind of... History. Yeah, history behind them wanting to take... This is, wasn't new, so... However, Korea at the time was un, under the Joseon Dynasty, I think it was, um, which was a tributary to the Chinese government at the time, which led to the Sino-Japanese War, which was 1894, which was a Japanese victory over the Chinese Empire, so the Qing Empire, which, which allowed them to... They didn't outright annex Korea immediately, but they established a sphere of influence over it, which was essentially annexation.
0: And okay. not only that, but they showed the rest of the world, holy shit, Japan's not anybody to be trifled with. They, most, yeah. mo- when, so when the Sino-Japanese War kicked off, most of the big powers, Britain, France, the U.S., they were like, China's got this one in the bag. Yeah. No, Japan stomps them. <laughs> it, it really wasn't even close. And it was because this is one of the weaker periods
3: in uh, Chinese history. Because they're also suffering from all these partitions we already mentioned. Mm-hmm. So they're not in the best shape, but still, the population was probably like five times more. Yeah, I Japan, heard you
0: know, I heard some figures at this point. Japan has somewhere around 70 million people, and China has 500 million. Wow. And they stomp them.
3: Wow. Crazy. So it was Just really embrace the new technologies. Ex- yeah, right. exactly. And the, this is only... 30 what, years. Four, 30 years? Yeah, 30 yeah. years from... When Perry showed up and they showed up on the beach with swords, you know? Wow. And, (laughs) I mean, it doesn't even stop there, just the impacts of this. It reverberates even further, yeah. Only just over 10 years later, so 1905, the Russo-Japanese War breaks out. Again, over Korea. uh, Yeah, over Korea, and also now Japan is looking even further afield to try to control Manchuria, which is a northern Chinese province, which is rich in coal and... Wheat. A lot of other resources, yeah.
0: Um, So I, I, this is another figure I've been listening to and reading a lot about this, obviously, in preparation for this episode. And one of the craziest things that that I learned was just how big Manchuria is at this point. It's the size of Texas and California alone. It's like, holy shit, how big that is. And especially when you look at China, you're like, Manchuria is just this little bit in the north, but it's huge, and it's some of the best farmland in all of China. Um. So there's tons of wheat. There's coal, like you mentioned. It's just this repository of natural goods that Japan sees once they've now, um, I guess, not quite bested in the, uh, Russia in the Russo-Japanese War, but they come out on the better end of the deal of the treaty that was signed, and they gain a foothold, and that's a great source for those raw materials they've been looking for for the last 40, 50 years since Perry came in
3: yeah and it was a major shock to the entire world that Japan won, because yeah. again, there was this kind of racist worldview of many nations, and so Japan was this Asian country that was again just opened up, not even half a century ago, you know right and yeah. then they had defeated Russia, which was the largest like contiguous country landmass on yeah. the earth at the time, yeah. and they were another industrial European country, so this by everyone else had thought, oh, it's easy. And Russia had tried to push, gain more influence over Manchuria and uh, build their Trans-Siberian Railroad and then were defeated. And not like just once or twice, but like in the land fighting in Manchuria, they were defeated. And then they defeated the Russian uh, Pacific Fleet. And then the Russians sent their Atlantic Squadron all the way from Russia in like the North huh. Sea, all the way around the world, around like Africa, that's great. India. Southeast Asia <laughs> what? China to Japan and then fought the Battle of Tsushima and their navy was decimated by the Japanese really so they sailed their navy half like all that way and and this is another incredibly powerful force in the eyes of Europe and it was crushed
1: that sounds like an odyssey
3: yeah right oh my god what a a rough odyssey <laughs> go all that way to get just that's so crunched. many incredible miles yeah but yeah. that is and again that's just showing Japan like wow yeah, Th- yeah, they're
0: taking on. They a, do
3: not want to be messed with
0: anymore. They're taking <laughs> yeah. on another power. <laughs> exactly. That listen, they,
3: they won't have, be like the others.
0: Had enough of these foreigners, these white
1: foreigners coming trying to kick their ass. That's yeah. exactly they it. Had enough of this racist
3: bullshit. They yeah. not that they weren't also very racist, but <laughs> they, it was a big thing yeah. at wow. this at that time in the world. I mean, because uh, they didn't really treat the Koreans very well when they immediately.
0: That kind of is a default, though, for any imperializing, colonizing power to. Yeah. The only way you can really go and take someone else's land is to go. Well, they're not doing <laughs> anything with it. They they suck.
3: Only way you can justify it. Right. Yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. So this brings us all the way up to,
3: 1905.
0: Yes. So just nice picture this. That's fifty, no forty years. 1865, 1868 to 1905. So 50 years from When Perry lands in Edo Bay when he's met on the shores uh, of what is now Tokyo harbor by the the shogun and his samurais with their katanas drawn uh well probably not drawn actually for diplomatic reasons but yeah So going from that all the way to hand to hilt Right yeah They they
1: ready for a showdown Ready to ride brother
0: <laughs> So we go from that to them knocking Two of the world's great powers right in the chin and just pretty much baffling all of the British were like, what, what just happened? What's going on? What do we do? Yeah. It's it's an incredibly remarkable and transformative point in history that is all brought about because the U.S. wanted somewhere to sell their shit they were making. What a,
3: what a spiral of events. Yeah, right.
0: An incredibly, incredibly fascinating because I I haven't had uh, a whole lot of research into this specific period. You know, you you learn it a little bit in high school or maybe college history, but it's always from the viewpoint of the Americans where it's like, well, we did this and we brought them culture and, you know, it was great. (laughs) And then you learn there's so much complexity and it's remarkable.
3: It was a dog-eat-dog dog world. Holy shit, was it? Back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> it really was. <laughs> we were like, well, we gotta screw him over or someone else will screw him over and we <laughs> won't get any benefit to it. Right? <laughs> uh, well, that w- then that sucks, you know? We want our slice. Yeah. You gotta have a piece of the pie.
1: I'm just mad that the samurai like are, are not a thing anymore. That, <laughs> there
3: were some rebellions.
1: Like, my whole childhood, I was, like, really pumped about samurai. And then I realized they're all, like, gone. Are like, there still... They
2: have I mean, to
0: still be people who like, maybe don't diligently follow those ways, but I, I mean, don't
2: know. armor is still a very important family heirloom. Fa- families yeah. that armor? still have their armor, okay, they still proudly display it, and it's a big deal because a lot of it was destroyed, yeah, via intervention of some sort, right? And to still have it and to pass it down is still very and swords themselves too, but swords. It's funny, um, a genuine Japanese sword is more likely found in the u.s than it is in japan because they were just looted yeah so so, yeah it's such a high volume after the war because everyone wanted a souvenir oh and that's why you find like a lot of world war ii vets i mean my mom has three kimonos from japan that's crazy and it was just because that kind of stuff was available over there and you could buy it for i mean cheap
3: they're in yeah. rough shape yeah they, they, they were, were pretty, pretty rough, rough <laughs> shape
2: when yeah. we were over there so
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks everybody for listening uh you've been listening to the heavy Poor. my name's dustin
1: yeah well it's been a long ride this episode and <laughs> welcome to season two i think uh we're on the right track with uh what we've been talking about and what we're going to continue talking about so i think we're going to have a good season good new year so
0: we'll probably have uh more and more guests on it seems to contribute to a nice lively conversation so uh with that make sure to uh like uh subscribe follow us on whatever uh podcast app you're using whether it's stitcher deezer apple play or apple podcasts google play Hit us up on Facebook. Uh, follow us on Instagram. We're yeah. the Heavy Poor and the Heavy Poor Podcast on both of those. So. Some combination of
3: both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'll find us. We're Thank there. you yeah.
1: for uh, thanks for joining us, guys. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been pretty cool. It's yeah.
3: good to be talking about stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I like I know a lot be, yeah. of history, but I'd love to talk about it. But it's not always like the most yeah conversational type thing to really go into. Yeah. So.
1: Well, if you want That's to, cool. if you want to go in on anything more in depth, like I know that we are, this is kind of like a broad stroke. We, we don't really. Sometimes we go into you know certain topics pretty deep, but sometimes we don't. So, if there's anything you want to talk about, just like you know, let us know and, and focus a podcast around that. Even you know, for cool. sounds good. So all right thank you steven you're welcome <laughs> we out
0: bye thank you. thank you all so much for listening the heavy pour is researched and written by dustin Varden, recorded and produced by skylar carroll and edited by us both Check us out at The Heavy Poor Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, or at our website, theheavypoorpodcast.com. There, you can also find any citations or corrections we have made. Our intro and theme music were written by Skylar, with photos by ourselves, as well as Kaylee Kirkpatrick. Thanks so much for listening.
2: story and even sometimes her story what's up
3: johnny glug glug miss you guys